Good morning. It's so good to be back together. I always look forward to Sundays to being with our church family and uh, and uh, take. Uh, I always am very humbled when Mark asks me to uh, come and speak and. And I, sometimes I get uh, the feeling, though, that he uh, he asks me to speak on things that um, are are as a, almost like a challenge because he asks, he's just 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 speak on this, and, and as if it's like this small thing and it's this ever expansive thing. Uh, today our study is is on the question, what is the church? And uh, and this is an amazing question for us to ask, and for many of us who have been following Jesus for a long time or have been around the church for any amount of time, we may not even think often to think about this question or to ponder this question. Uh, but if we're, if we're going to discuss this question, then we need to think about a couple of things. Uh, the, the first is the language that we tend to use around this word church. Without, without even realizing it, we automatically bring some assumptions to the table, don't we? Uh, we, when we when we use that word church, our understanding of how we answer this question shapes the way we think about the entire concept of the church community, right down to how we express the word church. And so, when you tell others you're coming along on a Sunday morning from eleven to half twelve or so, uh, what do you say? You probably say, "I'm going to church," or "I'm going to the church." That's a phrase that's become common uh, over the decades, many, many years uh, for us to use, and it's become common language as the concept of, of, of church really has evolved. And uh, my point is this, most people think of church as a place or a building, as an event. But as we think about the words we use in, in conjunction with the concept of church, let's start off by recognizing that the church is a group of people a group of people and not a place. And that's straight out of the Bible. Every single instance in Scripture that the word church is used is used to describe a group of people or the gathering of a group of people. And so, therefore, it's not a location. The building, this building, is not the church. Uh, it's, it's the space where we meet, we gather. It's, it's where a lot of our ministry happens throughout the week. So, if we're going to be careful about how we answer that question, it's extremely important that we go to the Bible. Uh, as we as, as is our practice for all things in life. And so why don't you uh, turn with me uh, to the Bible? Um, if there are some copies on the back shelf, there'll be some uh, the words up on the screen. We're going to go to uh, Paul's letters to the Galatians. Uh, but if you've ever tried to answer this question, what is the church? Back to my very first statement of Mark gives uh, me really good questions to ask. You might have noticed that you could sit down and try to nail down one passage throughout the whole entire New Testament and say, well, the whole New Testament is what it takes to answer this question. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not going to look at the whole New Testament today. Uh, but we could look at the whole New Testament and even some of the Old Testament prophets to see what the collective, collaborative answer uh, of, of that question is. What is the church? Since we don't have that time, though, we're going to look at a couple of places to get a snapshot, I think. So uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4 first. And in this letter, Paul is rebuking the church. It's one of those, uh, it's not one of those hallmark moments where you go to feel nice and warm and fuzzy with, thank you so much, I feel so grateful for you. He does feel grateful for them, but he has some very strong words to say to this church uh, because they have been going back to their former ways former religious practices apart from Christ. And, and they've, they've said it, to, to be right with God, it takes believing in Jesus and following 
all these religious rules. And so Paul is rebuking them for doing that and saying, no, it's following Christ. It's believing in Christ. He set you free from all of those, those things. And so uh, this letter is amazing in, in its presentation of the truth that the Old Testament law was God's way of showing us that our best efforts are not enough. They're just not enough. There's nothing that we can do, nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We have all rebelled. Every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, has rebelled against the way that God would have for us to live. Uh, we don't always do the things we should do. We, we know this, right? I'm not, I'm not giving you any new information, I hope, this morning. Uh, we don't always do the things we should do. We, we don't always avoid the things we should avoid. And as bad as that sounds, it's actually worse than that because we think things that run contrary to what God would have us to think or, or His ways. We purpose in our hearts things that are in direct contradiction to what God would have for us. And all of this is the reason Scripture tells us that all of us have rebelled. It used the word sin. All of us have rebelled and fallen short of God's glory. And what that means is that every single one of us is separated from God. Do you feel distant from God today? Well, apart from following Jesus, the Bible tells us that all of us are actually distant from God. The Bible says that this rebellion not only causes us to be separated from God, but even more, it causes us to be spiritually dead. Unless we understand all of that, the answer to the question, what is the church, will have no impact on us. That's our starting point today as we look at this passage. Therefore, let's, uh, in the midst of this hard truth, look at a passage that actually is one of the really bright spots in this letter, Galatians 4. Starting in verse 4, if you will read with me. When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. In eternity past, if we can even wrap our brains around that concept, <laughs> in eternity past, God saw ahead to how things on earth would be. We saw, he saw into what would happen, how he would create humanity with the ability to love, with the ability to choose whether or not to obey him, and how we would utterly fail in that. And that led us to where we are now. God in his mercy purposed a plan that would remedy the situation that we find ourselves in. He purposed in his heart not to forsake us or to let things remain as they are. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1 that just the right time in history, at just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to take on human flesh, to become one of us, to live out the human experience, but to live it differently, to live it perfectly, not as we live it, never rebelling against God. And then he freely laid down his life in our place. He finally defeated death by coming back to life in the resurrection. So believing in that, staking your life on that at the core is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That is the context for our passage today. Look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5, Christ did this to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What this means is that when we trust that all of this is true, that Christ did this, we ask God to forgive us of our rebellion. 
our sins, that God literally makes us part of his family. I love that. We are now adopted into God's family. Skip down to verse 7 with me. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Almighty God adopts us into his family forever, loving us as his child. This isn't just a formality. It's not just a, some paperwork <laughs> that's filled out. It's not just a title, son. Titles are good. But God gives us the position where we, together with Christ, are heirs to all that he has. We are family, sons and daughters. This is not an insignificant gesture, but one that gives astounding hope and joy. And therefore, the first part of our answer this morning to that question, what is the church, is this. The church is the family of God. We can't read this letter as, as if it were written just to us, just as to one individual. It was written to an entire community of people. Uh, therefore, followers of Jesus, every one of us has been adopted together as family into the family of God. That means that as the church, the way we relate to one another is not as strangers. It's not even as distant relatives that come together. But now, brothers and sisters is how we relate to each other, living life together. Um, this makes Sunday gatherings so much more significant for us. This is not a social club. It's not just a weekly event. The implications for us is that Sunday mornings are family reunions where we come together to celebrate all that God is doing in our lives. We come together to share what He's teaching us throughout the week. The follower of Jesus was never meant to live life alone. The orphan isn't adopted into a family just to be kept at arm's length, just to have visits every once in a while. The orphan is adopted into a family and then integrated into the family to live life with the family, to have all of life be about this family. That's you and me today. If you have put faith in Jesus, don't miss this. You cannot see yourself as just doing your own thing. You cannot. That is irreconcilable with the Word of God. You have an integral role to play as part of this church community. And it's through relating to the rest of the church family that you and I most effectively will be able to love God and love others. Now, turn with me to another passage over to Ephesians chapter 3. This is another letter written by the Apostle Paul that we have uh, written to another church. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. Read along with me. Words will be also be on the screen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This passage leads us to the second main point to that answer today. What is the church? 
The gospel is most clearly seen in the context of the church community. It's the context by which the gospel is most clearly seen. Paul prays that this church will be able to collectively, with all the saints, grasp the love of God. That word saints, it, it, it literally means holy ones or consecrated ones. And it refers to the faithful members of the church here. Clearly, this is not meant to be, uh, th this is meant to be a communal thing. It's not something we do on our own or in isolation. So think about this. It's in the context of deep, deeply trusted community where accountability and then growth and maturation happens. We encourage one another in our relationship with Christ. We share what God is doing and then celebrate that together. That sharing is what enriches our worship on Sundays. We rejoice how we pray for things in missional community. And you know what? God answers our prayers. We pray for all kinds of things, and we see Him at work. It's amazing. I don't know why we're still astounded. Every single week, we come back together and say, we've been praying for this. What? God answered our prayer? Yes. It's what the Bible tells us. If we pray, God answers our prayers. We see Him do that. The Christian life by design was meant to be a communal experience and not one of isolation. The gospel is most clearly seen in the context of the church community. We continue to point others to it repeatedly. We remind each other that we have hope. We have peace. We have deep Christ-exalting community because of the gospel. And that's exactly what we're seeing in this passage. When you read through this passage, Paul uses the word you in its plural form not use singular form, several times referring to the church community. I want to read back through this one time, one more time, but we're going to highlight every time it's, we see the word you to see that this is not just an individual thing, but it's, it's a communal thing. Uh, look again with me, starting in verse 16 this time. Paul says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your collective inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts, plural, through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Humanity was meant to have a relationship with God. If we'll trust the truth of the Bible and put faith in Christ as the way to God, our eyes will continually be opened more and more and more to the depth of God's love. If we live with the family of God, live life together. If you and I will do that, look at what happens next in, verse, in, in Ephesians 3. Look at down to verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As you and I live life together as family, growing in our understanding of God's love, which only helps us to better uh, love one another, you and I, as the family of faith, will bring glory to God. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that Paul uses this phrase. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't have written it this way, honestly, but that's the reason God didn't use me to write part of the scriptures, I guess. Uh, at first glance, it just seems really odd to me. In verse 21, he says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. 
in my mind, in, my, in, in TJ logic, it would have gone, to God be the glory in Christ Jesus to all generations. I mean, that's the most glorious thing, Christ coming to earth. But he put the church in there even before that. I mean, after Jesus was the one who took on flesh, he was the one who, I haven't lived perfectly. None of us have lived. He was the one who lived perfectly. He gloriously died for us. He was magnificently raised back to life. Should it be to God be the glory in Christ Jesus? But how will all generations know God? Like that verse says, to him be the glory to all generations. It's through the church that all generations will know, through God's people, through the church living out the love of God amongst people of the world in every generation, by the world around us seeing flawed people, not people who have it all together, but people who are still day by day confessing sin, trying to live in a way that it reflects who God is, living in community, growing more and more in love with God, letting that overflow out of us into others. You and I have been called to this. As followers of Jesus, we have been called to be family together. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never actually been adopted into God's family. Uh, You've never trusted that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he was sinless, that he died in our place, and that he came back to life. Would you trust in that today? We want to give you that opportunity. Would you be daring enough to trust that God and and ask God to forgive you and confess your need of Christ? He offers us peace and joy in the promise through all problems, that though all problems won't be solved, he will walk right beside us in the midst of problems, in the midst of difficult days. If that's you, there are going to be a few folks down here in a few minutes that would love just to talk more about what that means. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus this morning, how are you doing with living life with your spiritual family? What does that look like in your life? Is it a priority? Is your life inextricably, inseparably linked with your church community? Or do you find yourself more as a lone ranger? riding off in the sunset on your own. Maybe it's, maybe it's just that you think of the church as more of like a, a nice group of distant cousins who get together from time to time and, and have a good time instead of your brothers and sisters who you're meant to live day in and day out with. Or maybe, maybe you've been hanging around the fringes of DBC for a while and, and you've been getting involved some, but still kind of keeping things at arm's length. Maybe it's time just to take the next step of commitment to say, you know what? I need to be actually a member of this church community. Mark's going to be down here in a minute, and he would love to explain what that, what's involved with that. What is the church this morning? The church is the family of God, the family of faith. You and I were meant to live life in the context of spiritual family, and that's where the gospel is most clear, clearly seen. As we respond to that this morning in worship, uh, let us marvel at God's love. Let us marvel at the mystery of how he has adopted us and made his own. This morning, uh, we're going to sing songs in response, but we're also going to have a time where uh, we can come and and partake of the bread and the cup. And this is something for, if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come and partake in, um, whether you want to do that by yourself or with a friend or or with family. Uh, But we invite you to come and to remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He had a similar meal with his closest friends and followers. 
And he took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood. And we know that whenever we partake of this, we proclaim Christ until he comes. We proclaim him to ourselves and to others. Today, you take this not as an, as an isolated follower of Jesus, but you take it as a member of God's family. As you eat the bread and as you drink of the cup, remember you do as a son and a daughter, a part of something much bigger than yourself. Father, we thank you today that you give us the privilege of being not just in relationship with you, but in relationship with one another. We thank you for community that is found in the church. And Lord, we pray that today you would help us uh, to be diligent, to love one another uh, in a way that uh, reflects who you are accurately, in a way that is humble, in a way that is sacrificial. We pray that you would help us to live life uh, so that we might serve others. Father, I pray that you would grant us to be, like we sang a moment ago, with one voice, unified, Lord. Help us to be a people who are completely unified around who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.